0: One of the ways we can talk about mindfulness is like the holding environment. It's like the internal environment where cultivating within which everything's going to come and go and come and go beautiful, wondrous, extraordinary things and painful, difficult things, a lot of boring stuff in between. You know, it just all comes and goes and comes and goes. But how are we with it?
1: Hello, welcome to the Mind Rolling Podcast on Be Here Now Network. My name is Noah Marcus. I am Raghu's son. He couldn't be here this week, so he left me in charge, which means I am going to present to you an episode that is really all about me, because I am extremely egotistical. Um, all joking aside, uh, this episode is an anthology of clips from conversations that I've had on Mind Rolling with Sharon Salzberg, with Jack Kornfield, and with Joseph Goldstein. And I've tried to just go through and, and pick out some of the really practical Buddhist wisdom that uh, that I received uh, in those conversations. So I... Uh, I hope you get as much out of this stuff as I do, really. It's really been some great life-changing stuff for me. Um, First up, we are going to present a couple clips from Mind Rolling episode 327. That is uh, a conversation between myself and Raghu and Joseph Goldstein. The first clip uh, is going to be Around grief. This was recorded uh, shortly after Ramdas left his body. So, yeah, we were still going through some of that. Um, And uh, then the next clip uh, from that episode with Joseph is going to be around anxiety, which is something that I I deal with quite often. Uh, So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. I hope it's helpful. I will be back throughout the episode to introduce the other clips. Enjoy.
2: So if you like, I could say a few words about grief. Mm. Because there's a very specific teaching that I found really helpful. But, but, um, yeah, some people may relate to this and some not. Because this is a very tender area. You know, when there's a big loss and people are in grief, it's just very tender, you know, and people relate to that in a lot of different ways. Some people are interested in investigating really that experience and some people not. And that's fine. You know, it's just people are at different places in that process. But for those who might be interested in really exploring what that experience is like, uh <clears throat> I would really suggest beginning to separate out the experience of loss from the experience of grief. Because for most people, these two are conflated, you know, and it almost becomes the same thing. But when we look carefully, they're not the same thing at all. And I was first tuned into this uh, in reading some of the stories from the Buddhist time, and one of the stories was when his chief disciples died, Moggallana and Sariputta. So they were his chief disciples. They died before the Buddha. And he commented about uh, the assembly of followers, you know, nuns and monks and lay people now seemed empty because of the loss of these two great beings. He said it's like the, the great branches of a huge tree. If two of, the, uh, two of those great branches fall off, that that's what it felt like. And then he went on to say, but isn't it remarkable that even in the experience of this loss, the Tathagata, which is how he refers to himself, does not experience grief. So that was interesting to me. And then in the beginning of the Satipatthana discourse, which is that discourse on mindfulness, the very opening paragraph says, the development of mindfulness is the way to overcome grief, lamentation, sorrow. So when I put all this together, It was really interesting for me because clearly the Buddha experienced the loss in the way he talked about it, but he was not grieving the loss. And so then when I began to look at myself, I really began to see that in some way grief is the manifestation of the non-acceptance Of the feeling of loss which is painful you know it's it's a painful feeling so it's not surprising that people have a hard time accepting that just as we have a hard time accepting pain in our bodies our first response is not oh good let me feel it you know we want to get rid of it but with the practice oh no there's another way you know and so i think we could understand grief as the process of coming to the acceptance of loss, that that is the grieving process. But I think most or many people are not really seeing the possibility of going directly to the experience of loss with an attitude of acceptance, that we don't have to wait it out until finally we accept it if we realize that really the grief is the non-acceptance of the loss, then can we just approach it very directly, you know, kind of in the footsteps of the Buddha? And and we may not be as quick as he was. He may not. Uh, but, but we can, I think, often be quicker in that process of acceptance than we think is possible. Because I think many people in the experience of loss just assume, well, this is going to take a year or two or however long to work through this. But if we actually direct the awareness and the mindfulness from the beginning, oh, the, this loss, this emptiness, this, the assembly now feels empty, you know, our family now feels empty. Or, and if we can go directly to that experience, which is not pleasant. It's not a pleasant feeling, but it is possible through our meditation practice to actually be accepting of it, just as we can be accepting of other painful things that come up. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting time. And again, it's only if people, you know, have a particular interest in doing this. And I'm not suggesting that this will necessarily be the right way for everybody. It just depends on on one's own interest in this investigation is
3: uh, is this acceptance when we talk about acceptance
2: hmm.
3: how th- there has to be a reference around attachment right so are we accepting that attachment is that part of this joseph
2: yes uh, uh, well i think it, i think that our degree of acceptance or non-acceptance is related to the strength of the attachment. (laughs) The stronger the attachment, the harder it's going to be to come to the acceptance. And the, the weaker the attachment, the easier. But particularly when the attachment is strong, if we can go directly to the experience of loss and get okay with it, it's almost like we're we're sliding in underneath the attachment, and that very acceptance of the loss is going to weaken the attachment and the clinging, mm-hmm. because we've accepted the experience of someone no longer being there. You know, so it's really a way of uh, it's a way of great freedom and ease if we can work through this. And, you know, for most people, it probably will take a little time. It's not like the first time we said, oh, let me open to the loss. Okay, <laughs> no more attachment. But I don't think it has to stretch out as long as it often does if we know how to investigate it.
1: So, yeah, I want to I, I deal with a lot of anxiety and I wanted to talk to you about that real quick and see if you had any uh any specific practice or meditation that might help with that?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a couple of things come to mind. I've uh, a few things. Um, kind of the ba- the foundation, I think, would be learning to get okay with the feeling of anxiety. Mm. And it's not, that's a practice because it's very unpleasant. You know, and I know this, so for me, it wasn't so much anxiety, but I've talked a lot over the years of how I work with fear. And it's, so it's analogous because it's also a very unpleasant emotion, you know, and it took me a long time. It, it would come up a lot and not about any particular thing. It was just like, almost like free-floating, free-floating fear or it could be free-floating anxiety, not about anything in particular. It's just rising and what was interesting to me is it took me so long to realize that even though i knew it was there and i thought i was being mindful of it i was not because i was seeing it through the filter of wanting to get rid of it and the very wanting to get rid of it was feeding it mm. and it took me a long time to see that you know and finally since after years of working with this something I was on retreat at, at IMS myself and I was doing walking meditation and the fear was coming up and something shifted and the shift was reflected in the statement in my mind if this is here for the rest of my life it's okay and that was the first moment that I genuinely accepted it the all those years of practice, I thought I was being mindful and accepting, but I wasn't. I wanted it wanted to leave because it was so unpleasant. So it's okay became my mantra. You know, when unpleasant, particularly emotions, oh, it's okay. Just let me feel it. And so an image which might help people find that space within themselves so just for you to imagine how you would be if you were with a child who is experiencing a lot of anxiety, how would you be relating? You probably would not be saying, "Oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't be feeling that." or "Oh yeah, you really should be feeling it. This is you know no, you would probably just be there in a loving, supportive way, knowing as the adult mind, That it's a passing emotion, that this is the feeling now and, you know, in the child's life, it's going to pass. So it's almost like we know, we know internally how to be with these difficult emotions when it's a child and we're relating. But somehow we don't, (laughs) we don't understand that we need to apply that same relationship to ourselves when we're going through this. So that would be the first. To really change your attitude towards the anxiety, it's okay. It's okay. Just relax into the body, mind, and just feel it. And it's going to be unpleasant. It's not that that makes it pleasant, but it's just like feeling a pain in the back or the knee. You know, in meditation, we like, okay, it's painful, but it's okay. So that that's the ground. And I, that's the most significant shift, I think. What was amazing is when I did that in that moment, the whole mass of fear washed through. It was amazing because it really felt caught. So it washed through, and it's not that fear never arises; it does. But since then, the relationship to it has changed. You know, and now and okay, it's okay. It's okay. Just feel it, and so I'm. I'm not reinforcing it through my aversion to it. That's a key point, you know? And so you really have to watch how the mind is relating. Just two other quick things. Um, basically, I think concentration and the deepening of concentration really helps with afflictive emotions, you know, because as the mind gets more concentrated, they really don't arise. The mind gets unified in a certain way. Uh, and at first, that may just be a fleeting experience of concentration. But as we practice and our base, the base level of concentration in our minds, over years of practice, uh, gets stronger. You know, when I think back to my early years in Bogaya, I had zero concentration. <laughs> See, I mean, I just thought all the time and enjoyed it. <laughs> Enjoy. So, so I know that concentration, to some extent and a reasonable extent, actually can be developed. So that has a big impact on our emotional life. And then just the last thing, it might be interesting to see the effect of doing the metal loving kindness meditation at those times you're feeling anxiety, because similar to to what we're talking about, the grief and loss. When we think of ourselves, it's painful. When we think of Ramdas, we can feel happy for him. So when we're feeling, when our attention is all directed to my anxiety, my, 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 so it can get very heavy. When we're doing metta meditation and just sending a loving energy outward, it can really lighten the heart so there are these three aspects that I, I would explore uh, but the first one is is the is really the wisdom piece with regard to it
1: that's that's great thank you so much
2: yeah all right
1: well next up we have jack cornfield from mind rolling episode 425 first it's uh ragu and i talking with jack about intuition and it's uh, yeah jack leads me through this really cool kind of powerful exercise that that helped put me in touch with, with my intuition a, a little bit more that's the first clip uh, and then the second clip from that episode is around uh negative thinking which is something i'm very very good at um uh, which uh, yeah jack jack calls it catastrophizing it's uh yeah it, it's uh it's
3: worth a listen. So enjoy. Well, can I say one thing? Ramdas did uh, use one uh, analogy that ma- made the most sense to me. The Quaker, the small voice within, the small quiet voice within. I can't remember exactly, but that voice that is really deeply behind the judging mind and the polarized mind and being in it is being in uh, an ocean without ripples and a place from which one can really uh i think mindfulness at that point is much more um, transformational for people. Mindfulness with judgments and all of that, as we know coming from your head near ego is is not really uh going to be very useful. So the deepest part of oneself that um, is behind all of that, to me, is that still small voice. That was my take, take right. from Ramdas.
1: So, So then the, the question, I guess, is uh, how do we get uh, beneath all, all the uh, bullshit and get in touch with that? Get through yeah. the, uh, the judgment and, you know, the thoughts and whatever other fun stuff our mind is uh, throwing in our path.
2: Yeah, I,
4: I love what you said, Raghu, of bringing Ramdas's words to light here. And the, that this silence beneath the waves and the depths of being and listening and so forth. So now you say, no, how do we do that? Well, there's a hundred ways to do it. <laughs> you walk in nature. You turn off your electronic devices, you meditate, um, you listen with your ear, and then you listen with your heart, which is a different kind of listening. You pay attention. You pay attention to what your body wants to tell you. You pay attention to what your emotions are, 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 are raising up to you. It was like me sitting there with Thich Nhat Hanh and he's talking about half-smile and ease. And I'm feeling grief and sadness uh, and not knowing, is it mine or his? So I had to ask, but I was feeling my body and feeling those emotions. So one of the gifts as, as uh, Ram Dass and Ragu point out, is that mindfulness or that capacity to become aware is something that grows in us. And then you know, I said, yeah, but how do you get below the judgments? And the, you know, regrets and the plan, plans and the kind of critical mind. Um, and the way, the first way you get below it, along with all those other things I said, um, is not to judge all of that, because sort of hidden in your question is at least the possibility that you or other people could be um, Think you're supposed to get rid of that and then get to this deep, quiet, silent, still smile, small voice and get rid of all that other bullshit, right? Um, but there's a m- much more beautiful way to do it and a more effective way. And that's to say thank you. Thank you to your, to, you know, your planning mind that's so busy trying to make plans. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. I'm actually okay for now. You can relax. And then the judging mind comes in and you say, oh, stop judging. I hate these judgments. I don't want to be so judgmental. But what's that? It's more judgments, right? So instead, you kind of inwardly bow and say, oh, the judging mind, thank you for your opinion. Because it's mostly recorded in there from God knows what, you know, your elementary school teachers, your parents. So you collected all these ways you're supposed to be. And it's trying to make you fit in or safe and say, thank you. Thank you for your idea. Thank you for the treasure. I appreciate it. I'm okay just now. And then you're not in conflict with it. Instead, you become the loving witness, the loving awareness, to use Rambas' phrase, that sees the mind doing that. And the mind isn't the intuitive channel. The mind does what it does, you know. It secretes thoughts the way the salivary glands secretes saliva. It just does it, right? And there are tricks to stop it for a while, but then it starts again. It's just what it does. So you say, thank you. Thank you for that. Now let me take a few quiet breaths. Let me go on walk out in the yard or stand under a tree or find a quiet spot or settle down and listen to what my body wants to tell me. Or listen to what my heart has to say. And one of the really beautiful things is that when you ask, your heart will answer. If I were to say to you, Noah, what's one of the struggles you're having right now in your life? One of the kind of problems that you're trying to solve or work with. And we could do actually do it, or you could just play along for a moment and say, all right, it would be this or that or something. And I would say, uh, close your eyes. Name that struggle. You don't have to go in a lot of detail. You could say family, work, plans, give me a, give me a word. Uh,
1: self-judgment.
4: Self-judgment, so close your eyes. Right, and you feel all that struggle with self-judgment. And then I'm just gonna ask you a couple of simple questions. Take a couple long breaths so you're quiet. Relax a little bit, just two long breaths. And tune in as you breathe out the second breath to your heart. And then what does your heart already know? Keep your eyes closed. What does your heart already know About how to approach all these judgments. What does it tell you?
1: Yeah, that I need to
4: relax. So it tells you you need to relax. Do you want to ask it anything else? Yeah, how do I do that? Okay, see what it says.
1: Yeah, I don't. Not getting a response on that one.
4: <laughs> well now hang in there for a minute. So it tells you to relax. Ask your heart, what is one good way that helps me with this kind of relaxing? And see what it says. Letting go. Mm-hmm. And ask it one more. Yeah what's it say
1: having a little love for yourself having a what having a little love for myself
4: yeah love for yourself so before you open your eyes feel that feel when it says letting go your heart knows what that feels like in your whole being and you could feel it let it go you don't have to do anything about it judgment's there but it's not a problem it's just there on the shelf like everything else And then having a little love for yourself, self-compassion. This is your heart saying, hey, take a breath, put your arms around yourself, be kind. Imagine that you, Noah, were a young man that came to you and said, hey, you know, I'm struggling. And you put your arm around his shoulder and you said, yeah, it's okay. You were really kind and loving that you could do that for yourself. Hmm that's intuition that's listening to your heart it's one of my zen master teachers we'd ask him questions and he would look back especially if we'd been meditating even a little bit with him he would say you already know you already understand
1: one one of the things that's happened for me throughout the course of uh, this pandemic is it's really um supercharged my negative thinking in some ways. Um, Especially uh, in regards to like always, uh, always jumping to the worst case scenario. I have a cough; that must mean I have COVID. Uh, my mother's not replying to my phone call; something must have happened to her. Uh, and this type of uh, negative thinking—I uh, don't know—it's got a big muscle at this point. It's very strong in me. Um, so I'm just trying to—I uh, guess I'm just trying to get some space around that. Trying to uh, decondition that muscle—is that—is that how we'd say it?
4: That's you know, one way to say it. Sure. Um. Yeah. It's catastrophizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, feeling, no, it's uh... its its fear.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, underneath it's...
4: it, the—the the emotion, the emotion is fear. And then the mind goes in and tells stories about, oh, they didn't call. They must have been in a car accident, their plane crashed. They got COVID and Ebola and uh, (laughs) you know, were bit by a rabid dog on the way to the clinic. (laughs) You know, and the mind is fabulous. That's why there's all those great horror movies. We know how to do that. And you get to make them in your head. And way you gotta admit it's very creative right absolutely (laughs) absolutely Mm. so um what to do with it well you've gotten one step in that you've recognized and acknowledged it that it's not necessarily that these thoughts don't have your best interest in mind and that's already a really important step because in it you're seeing um not inside the thought, but as the as the loving awareness, as the witness to the thoughts. So that's already a step. All right, here are these thoughts, and I I realize that they're not actually healthy thoughts, or they don't have my best interest in mind. So then, what do you do with it? There are a few things you can do. One thing is, do you tell me? Do you uh, do you give voice to them to the people around you that you live with or close to? Yeah, Noah? sure. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. So one thing you could do is to try for a week or a month to say, I won't say any of these things out loud. <laughs> All right. Try that and see who do you live with?
1: My, my girlfriend will be very grateful for this practice.
4: <laughs> okay. So yeah. for a month, you're not going to say these out loud. Then here's the next thing. When you notice them, because they'll be running like a like the little banner underneath, you know, when you're watching something, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and on the screen, there's a little banner with the, the news coming wrong, in or the yeah. Dow Jones Industrial mm-hmm. Average or say they're just running underneath there. Mm-hmm. So then the second thing is not speaking them. Is that when they get a little strong, because they will be like little waves in the background and then they intrude and they take over. All right, then your next step is to inwardly bow and say, um, thank you for trying to protect me. Mm. That changes your whole relation. Because if you say, I want to get rid of these, how do I get rid of them? I hate them. That actually locks them in. Your resistance to them, instead of getting rid of them, it actually makes them stronger. Oh, I'm not gonna, and they get bigger. <laughs> instead, you say, thank you. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. You mm-hmm. can even say I'm okay now, but you just mostly say, thank you for trying to keep me safe. I'm all right. Then the next thing to do, um, do you have, I mean, I know Raghu would, because he's one of those old weird India wallace, but you're different. Mm-hmm. Do you have an altar at your house with pictures of?
3: I,
1: I,
4: do. Saints I do. Or, Buddhas or any of that it's, stuff. It's back oh, there. Oh, you do? It's, there it is. Okay. Yeah. So here's the next thing, is after you acknowledge them, especially the repeated ones, you know, that are really great movies, You can say, thank you for the great movie, right? I'm okay now. Then you say, I'm going to um, leave you on the altar for now. And your altar, I don't know who's on there, whether it's the Dalai Lama or Maharaji or, you know, Kuan Yin or some things on those. Say, so I'm going to put you in the lap of, Maharaji and, you know, Anandama and whoever happens to be on your altar. And I'll ask them to hold these fears for me so I can take a few deep breaths and just live more in the present. So that's a third movement, not to say them out loud, say thank you when they come. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. I'm all right. And then actually visualize that there's a little basket over there. You could put a little basket or a bowl there. Um, you you go and in, and in, in Maharaji and you know Mother Mary will hold will hold you for me, and you have to do that a number of times. But then it starts to give you the more and more space from that negative negativity that you caught in. It's not the problem that you have the thoughts; they're creative in a way. They could hire you and. Hollywood, you make some really good horror movies. It's not the content, it's the fact that you believe that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Very convincing. You So you say, Thank you for a really great, convincing movie. I appreciate <laughs> your trying to keep me safe. Thank you. And for telling a great story. And now I'm going to put you in the lap of Maharaji and Mother Mary on the altar and you visualize putting it in their lap um mm. and you make that your practice for a month along with not saying it out loud so there's a few things you could do and see how that works mm. what do you think
1: that's that's great that's uh that's very uh, actionable on my end and i
4: yeah i love it yeah right and your girlfriend will you tell her about it oh she'll
1: be thrilled she'll yeah. be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Now she's uh, gonna get more worried. Like, oh god, he's not worried anymore. Maybe I should be worried. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay. Last but certainly not least, uh, we have Sharon Salzberg from episode four thirty-seven of Mind Rolling. Uh first uh clip is me asking Sharon about dealing with uh difficult emotions uh that that can arise during meditation. Um And then the next clip is Raghu and I talking with Sharon uh, about the practice of loving-kindness, specifically when it comes to uh, difficult people. And then finally, uh, it's just a a short clip uh, at the end, Sharon leading a, a guided meditation, which is always, always a good way to end an episode. So enjoy. All right. Just moving on to another, uh, another point where I get caught. Um, and this one, you know, it happens when I, sometimes when I sort of successfully meditate, whatever that means, don't get too caught in my thoughts at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, or, and it often happens sort of, you know, if I'm, if Katie is chanting or something and I'm just connecting to it that way. Uh, what does he say? The, uh, the music, uh, Makes the medicine go down a little easier. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, when I when I start to get into it, and go down a level, go up a level, wh- whatever you want to call it, I I hit this place. That's you know I, I I was thinking about it. What do I call it? You know, it's like the the never ending pool of sadness or suffering mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, the tears start to flow and all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, I'm crying and just focus on that. Um yeah, I this is the place I think within me where it's like everything that I've ever had to close my heart down to, that's where it goes. Mm-hmm. And I just get stuck there. How... Uh,
0: what does stuck there how, feel like? Yeah. How does it look like? It,
1: it, you know, I turn into a you know, a pool of tears, a puddle of sadness, you know.
0: And And, and you're watching it as it's happening or you're. Oh yeah. You know, I'm very aware of it. Doesn't sound that stuck. Do you hate it while it's happening?
1: I'm very resistant to it. I don't know if hate is the right word.
0: Well, I mean, these things happen because I think we see everything as we go deeper and it would be kind of limited if we didn't, if we only saw the pretty, you know, serene parts. Um, uh, it's not what people think of when they think of going deep or, or meditation or something like that, but it's what happens, you know, it's what's true. And nothing is forever, I will say that also. And the stuckness really um, depends on how we're relating to it, you know. Are we jumping in and saying this is the only thing I'll ever feel? Are we adding a sense of isolation? Like I'm the only one. Are we adding shame? Shouldn't have this happen. Shouldn't we be able to control this? Should be able to control everything? Um, you know, those, those are interesting things to take a look at. It's like the add ons. And, and that's right. what kind of defines, you know, um, from the insight meditation point of view, that's what will characterize a good meditation it's not what's happening, it's how you're relating to what's happening. Mm. Okay.
1: That's no, perfect. that's hard.
0: That's very hard. And
1: yeah, no, it's it's another sort of level to it that I I never consider, I guess.
0: Yeah, so. well, I mean, one of the things, one of the ways we can talk about mindfulness is like the holding environment. It's like the internal environment where cultivating within which everything's going to come and go and come and go beautiful, wondrous, extraordinary things and painful, difficult things, a lot of boring stuff in between, you know, it just all comes and goes and comes and goes, but how are we with it? You know, I had one Burmese meditation teacher named Saida Upandita who came to the Insight Meditation Society in 1984 and um, his mindfulness technique was based on mental noting. We actually place a gentle label if the word comes easily on your predominant experience. So it might be like joy, joy, sadness, sadness, thinking, something like that. And I would go in to see him uh, because we were meeting him six days a week for these little brief meetings to describe our practice. And whatever I would say, he would say, well, could you note it? like I tell him about this dazzling thing and he'd say, did you note it? And I think who cares if I could note it, you know, like. and then I would tell him some very sorrowful, you know, thing. And he would say, what, well, could you note it? And it was all he said for like weeks. And I left, you know, his room sometimes thinking, why do we bring him all the way from Burma? It's like, all he ever says is, could you note it? Could you note it? And then I realized, you know, um, he wasn't sitting in judgment of me. Like, I could have said anything. He wasn't saying, really? You know, you've been practicing. You still feel that? And <laughs> what he was concerned about was how I was relating. And the way he would say that is, could you note it? Because that was his, his way of practice.
1: Mm. Um, yeah. It seems like that would be difficult to do in the moment there when I'm in the midst of such intense emotions it, it's them, very right? difficult
0: there's no doubt about it and, and you can also separate out what feels the most healing to you like maybe it's kindness towards yourself not getting down on yourself because you're crying you know or something like that.
1: that's, that's that's a tough one for me yeah that's a tough yeah one. well there you go <laughs> I, I so i recently had a situation with my neighbor where uh you know he's uh, he's not such a nice guy he's kind of threatened me in various ways And, uh, you know, I, uh, I feel like he needs a little love. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I've tried sending him some meta and you know what? It doesn't, it's just not happening. I'm, uh, I'm too stuck whenever I start thinking about this fellow, I sort of get stuck in the fight flight Mm -hmm. response Mm -hmm. mode. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, it's not happening it's which is funny it used to be whenever i tried meta it was you know sending it to yourself That was always the roughest thing and you know sending it to someone you know might not be too fond of that was okay because i never had something that right. was right. so personal uh which probably just speaks to my luck and the privilege as a human being not to have to really deal with this until this point in my life but yeah it uh it feels like a blocking point to me mm-hmm. uh
0: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think um, there's something about loving kindness practice, which is very real, you know, (laughs) like it it does bring us into a lot of confrontation with all kinds of challenges. And um, I think the most important thing is actually to want to experiment with it. And it's like an experiment. No one's forcing you to. And if you feel forced, it's wrong, you know. Um, But if if you want to experiment with it, like people often ask me. These days, you know, um, why would I try to do loving kindness for somebody who doesn't believe I should exist as a free person or as who I am? And that makes a lot of sense. So if you see loving kindness as like approval or liking or I want to spend time with you, it makes no sense whatsoever. But I keep going back myself. I go back all the time to what they say was the Buddha's initial very first teaching about loving kindness where he taught it as the antidote to fear. So I thought, oh, that makes some sense. Then it's maybe worth a try. Let's see what happens from doing that. Um, another thing I would say is that if you're going to assess whether it's helping or not, you can't judge from what happens when you're sitting there doing it. You have to see what happens next time you run into them. Or, <laughs> you know, they make some nasty comment, how much you take it to heart. And how much you think guy's a mess, you know, like it's his problem. Um, It's going to be in life itself that you'll see the change. And then, you know, there are lots of ways we play, especially in that category with a difficult person. Like um, in the text, they say things like, can you imagine this person as an infant? Helpless, you know, completely subject to the actions of those around them, just like we all were. Can you imagine them dying, you know, not with like Lee, but, you know, like look at that. We all have to let go of everything. All this mm-hmm. stuff we take to heart and we take seriously and the grudges. And like, in the end, we all have to let go of everything. And I extrapolate from that. Like, is there a way you can imagine this person so that you feel you can actually offer them some loving kindness? And I've heard, really funny things. And you can be funny, you know, like be creative. Like I imagine my difficult person on an Island and his food, I'm not trying to starve them, but no boat, no bridge, no aqueduct, no way they will get near me. Then I felt I could do it. Um, And if you're using phrases, which is a very common way of doing loving kindness, like may you be happy, may you be peaceful. You might have to change the phrases people. I mean, if it's really bad, you know, People uh, might have heard people say I'm going to offer um, maybe free of hatred, something like that, that I can do. And that's the measure of success, not a great feeling, but that you can actually do the practice.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess I've I've come to realize I'm not, doing it for the other person I'm doing it for myself yeah yeah Yeah. is is that's that's okay I guess
0: (laughs) yeah it is okay I mean I think that's um people often ask me that too they say wasn't that greed and I say no that's science that's understanding Mm -hmm. you know if I spend one more hour you know like consumed with how wretched they are that's another wasted hour yeah I just I don't want to spend more energy on
1: thinking about it and you know honestly having some not so nice thoughts about this yeah. person that I yeah. really don't want to be having, you know?
3: So, you know, when one perhaps can do a metta loving kindness towards oneself first, let's just say, and then you can envision that little guy that's in all of us. Yeah. And I, I actually have a picture of when I was four or five years old, looking off into the distances, looking somewhat sad, And I can really relate to it and, you know, wrap, as Ram Dass said, wrap yourself yourself with this kindness or just embrace oneself. And once you do that for yourself, then next is this this person who's been causing pain and uh, fear. And then I think if you get the as-he-is-now guy out of there and maybe embrace the little guy that obviously got tremendously wounded as a child, maybe that would help.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can do that on an intellectual level. (laughs) I can't do it on a soul level quite yet.
3: Yeah. Well, if you can get it going with yourself first, then you stand more of a chance to get it going with somebody else. It's just kind of as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Can we do a
0: little meditation? Sure, of course. Okay, let's uh, sit comfortably. You can close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. See if you can feel your body posture as being balanced. So you want some energy in your body? That might mean sitting up straight but you don't want so much energy, like you're stiff and uptight. Just also be at ease, be relaxed. And you can start by listening to sound. Maybe the sound of my voice. Maybe the sounds of New York City I am bringing you right now. There may be other sounds. Just allow them to come and go, come and go. Of course, we like certain sounds and we don't like others but we don't have to chase after them to hold on or push away. Just let them come, let them go. and feel the sensations of your body sitting. See if you can feel the earth supporting you. And feel space touching you. Usually we think about touching space. We think about picking up a finger and poking it in the air. The space is already touching us. It's always touching us. We just have to receive it. And if you get caught, you get lost in thought, spun out in a fantasy, or you fall asleep, truly, don't worry about it. We say the most important moment is the next moment after you've been gone, after you've been lost. Because that's the moment we have the chance to be really different. It's right there, actually. We don't have to judge ourselves. We don't have to blame ourselves. See if you can let go gently and just begin again. Shepherd your attention back to the feeling of the breath. Nothing's been ruined. You haven't failed. We just practice letting go and starting over. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze and we'll end the meditation.
3: Hmm. Thanks so much, Sharon.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank
3: you.